we listed out what are the features that are only possible because these things go together. And then going to customers and testing out, is this, are these features or these combined features enough for you to switch or enough for you to make a buying decision? And if the answer was no, then that would be less exciting for us to do. If the answer was yes, then it would be very exciting. We knew the attachment. But these specific features need to be the buying criteria or like make a difference in the buying process. Welcome to the SMB Tech Innovators Podcast, powered by Gusto. On this show, we explore the intersection of fintech, vertical SaaS, and how software combats the rising complexity of running a business. Our goal is to share stories, advice, and best practices from the leaders and investors behind today's cutting-edge platforms. Here's your host, Tomer London. Welcome, everyone, to the SMB Tech Innovators podcast. I'm Tomer London, and I'm one of the co-founders of Gusto and the chief product officer here. If you're a founder, a product person, or a team member in a technology company that's focusing on serving small businesses or serving startups, this podcast is exactly for you. What we're going to do here is we're going to bring founders, leaders, investors from the very, very best software companies out there that are focused on SMBs and startups, and we're going to hear their advice. We're going to hear their stories. We're going to hear their best practices. We're going to learn what it takes to build great companies in this space. So I'm really, really, really excited for today because in today's episode, we're going to talk with Enrique Dubogras, the founder and co-CEO at Brex. Enrique, thanks so much for taking the time with me today again. Thanks so much for having me. So let's just jump right in. So for folks who don't know about Brex or don't know the, the latest about Brex, tell us a little bit about the company, the product, what you offer, and a little bit about the journey so far. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Brex, we do uh, corporate cards, spend management software, and uh, business accounts for uh, startups and uh, larger businesses. We started the company back in 2017. I'm originally born and raised in Brazil. And the first product that we launched was Brex, the corporate card for startups. If you're from San Francisco, you probably saw our billboards back in the day. Definitely remember them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're pretty iconic. Since then, we started the company in 2017. We probably launched in 2018. In 2019, we launched our business account product, which can replace your bank account. We then launched bill pay and some expense management. Recently, we launched Empower and Global, which is um, our kind of like larger spend management solutions and uh, you know, and global solutions. So, um, been a five year journey so far, and you know, a lot more ahead. Congratulations on all the success and the growth and kind of where, where you ended up thus far. And, and yeah, I agree. It's been, it's been awesome to watch your journey and get inspired by, by your work. And yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about what it takes and, and when you believe is the best time to expand into new products, because I think that's an area where you guys are moving really, really fast and there's a lot to learn from here. But let's start with the customers. So today, from everything I can just know, looking at your website, you both serve startups, but you also serve large enterprises like DoorDash. What is the target audience that you would consider for Rex today? And then how did that evolve over time? Did you start with that understanding? And what's kind of what insights did you learn over time over the past five years about who's the best target audience for you? And perhaps I kind of share some pieces of advice for founders who are going or going through this journey right now of evaluating their customer set. Absolutely. So we started a company again, as I said, serving startups, right? I know startups are a little bit of a broad term, so let me be more specific. So for us back then, a startup was a company who had raised any kind of venture funding. 
And the reason we serve them is because the first value proposition, the first differentiation that Brex had was that traditionally, if you had raised two, three, four million dollars, you still couldn't get a corporate credit card. You had to give a personal guarantee right. or you know, deposit money. It was really hard for companies, so everyone had debit cards or you know, you were using personal amixes here and there. And Brex's first value proposition was like, look, if you raise a million dollars or even less, $120,000 is our minimum, we're going to give you a corporate card with higher limits than you would have gotten normally and no personal guarantee and, you know, kind of like a great product, great interface. And that kind of like, I would say, underwriting advantage, right, was the, the initial value proposition and the re- initial reason Brex started to work. And as we grew, obviously, you know, there's not that many startups in the world or in the US at least. So we, we started getting to like a good amount of market share and we're like, okay, we need to keep growing. We need to keep expanding. What are the next places we're going to expand? Right. And we have basically three choices. We had choice number one, which was going to another vertical, right? We're startups. We're one vertical. We could go to another vertical. So e-commerce, for example, is a vertical. Right. Choice number two is we could go to say, hey, it's actually not vertical at all. We're going to go to the broad small business market. And choice number three is we're going to go now to larger companies. So instead of you know serving just small startups, we're going to go to larger companies. And we tried to do all of them, I would say. And I think that what we realized over time is that doing all of them was really hard because the needs of each of these companies are very different than uh, from from each other, right? So when we went to e-commerce, right, the advantage was, hey, we're going to underwrite you based on your revenues and your e-commerce sales and things like that. And that worked somewhat well. And then SMBs, they also wanted other forms of capital. And there was just a lot of them. There were like, you know, as you know, um, there's a lot of SMB, you know, small business in the US. So startups, you know, we were signing up a few hundred to low thousand customers a month. And then small businesses, when we open for them. We were signing up thousands and tens of thousands of these a month. So uh, it was a completely different scale and had completely different needs and expectations in terms of support right. and stuff like that. And then um, big businesses, they were a completely different thing. They already have capital. Underwriting is not a differentiator for them. The software and the process automation was more of the differentiation for them. Mm-hmm. So we had to choose. We're like, okay, like, where are we going to go from here, right? Like, which are these three kind of expansion opportunities we're going to focus on? And the choice was kind of made for us a little bit because the startup customers that we signed up early on, they grew. They became big companies, right? So Scale AI, you know, we signed up. They were just the founders. Now it's a $7 billion company of almost a 1,000 people, Airtable. Flexport, and I can keep going in these startups that when we signed up, they were actually pretty small and then became really big over time. And then we decided, look, we can't lose these customers. They're our best customers. So we need to build things to serve their new needs. So we decided to focus on startups and mid-sized large customers. And the reason startups are different is because still we do have that differentiation of the underwriting. It's still something that we do that the traditional companies don't. And they eventually grow to become, become larger companies. So every product that we're building for the larger companies actually kind of applies to startups as well. So there's more product market fit within there. And then it turns out that larger companies have similar problems. So they all have expense management problems and procurement problems and reporting and accounting. 
as you become have a lot of employees, a lot of the problem sets are actually pretty similar across industries. So it actually became easier to go across industries versus in, in small businesses. It was a little bit harder because there was a lot of underwriting differences. So that's a very long answer for your question, but that's been the, the journey that we uh, went through as well. No, this is great, Enrique. So, so if I if go back to that kind of first point about, about you all started with startups, and then it's, you're saying at some point you felt like, hey, this is going pretty well for us, but we want to start expanding into additional verticals or different expressions. Tell me more about that moment and what gave you the confidence or when did you know that, okay, we are, we are ready to, to expand? What were kind of the, the thoughts, the thought process there? And what's your perspective of you know, advice for other founders when they're thinking about when is the right time to expand beyond what you started with? You know, the honest to God answer was we had raised a lot of money at very high prices and kind of needed to grow. So the kind of like just organic growth rate that we're having in startups wasn't enough. So we needed to like, to kind of keep up with the, with the fundraising. I think all in all, obviously it worked, everything worked out in hindsight. Yeah. But I would say that we probably went expanded a little bit earlier than we should have. If I could go back, I'd probably stay at stick with startups for a bit longer. Okay. So I think my advice for founders would be just be sensitive that if you decide to raise a lot of money at high prices, there's going to be a lot of pressure for growth and you may end up uh, doing some things maybe a little bit earlier than you should. Yeah, that makes sense. That dynamic exists, exists I think, in all venture-backed companies. So there are a lot of companies, a lot of founders that I, I get to talk with who their plans at start is, is to focus on startups and perhaps never actually expand. Do you think that's like that's a bad idea from the first place and people should think about their expansion plans in the beginning? Or do you feel like there are some situations where actually serving startups only is a great place to go? I think that Brex had a very unique experience of startups because if you think about the model is a startups are an easy buyer, right? They're like early adopters. They have very fast buying processes. And they adopt things very quickly with very high LTV for us, right? So even at the earlier stages, if you compare the total spend that a small business has compared to a startup, the startup spends a lot more. Like Silicon Valley companies are great at spending money, as we all learned. So it was this really unique thing where this was this underserved market that was actually super profitable because they spend a ton of money. Right. So it's a very unique dynamic versus like, I don't think they're willing to pay that much for products. So the fact that we were free, but we still made a lot of money kind of made it work in that way. So it was a little bit of a unique model that I don't know how many, you know, I imagine there's some other instances in which that's true, but traditionally that's not the case, right? Like you're trying to sell startups don't pay a lot of money for software, right? Like you don't, they don't pay a lot for stuff anyway. So I think that's one thing just to be mindful when looking at a Brex story is it is we, our average revenue per customer per startup was really, really high compared to other things that startups bought through what we made through interchange. I think that's, that's great advice about it's not just when you think about your target, your addressable market, when you start the company and trying to model like how big can this be for yourself to see if it's worth it. It's not just the number of customers. It's also for each customer, what's their share of wallet and what's the, the economics for each individual customers to make it worthwhile. Go ahead. What's the second point? Well, and then the second point is 
the big advantage of startups is they grow to be bigger businesses. And that's where a lot of the LTV is, right? So I think like one thing you need to decide is like, look, if you decide to serve exclusively startups, you kind of need to serve them as they grow too. Because if you just stay with startups that stay small, honestly, it's a shitty business. Mm -hmm. So either you expand into small businesses, then you have 30 million of them in the US, right? And you can serve all of them. And the certain needs of startups and small businesses may be kind of similar for a product. And then you're serving a ton of them at the same time. Or you kind of need to grow with them and stick with them until they are a lot larger and they pay you more. And the startups kind of become almost like a funnel through your like mid-market enterprise business, right? Right. I think that a business that you're serving startups that and you're staying small, it's just not a big enough business in that sense. To be a venture back company, obviously. Right. That's a great point as well. I think, yeah, startups have that dynamic. There's a bunch of good cases out there for, you know, Stripe comes to mind as you start with uh, customers or they start a technology companies, they're small and you grow with them. So that's a great point too. And you got to make sure if that's your strategy, you will, you got to make sure not just that you acquire them when they're small, that that you can sustain and, and keep working with them, that they'll keep choosing you every, every day and every year. So that's a great point. So let's move to another area. We talked earlier about product expansion and you mentioned kind of several steps in your product expansion journey. Tell me a little bit about how you make that decision in terms of when to expand and how to expand into additional features or, or really additional products for your customers and serve more, really solve more of their needs. And as a part of that, I know we, we've talked previously, you're thinking about build versus partner versus buy. Tell me a little bit about that and how you're thinking about that. Yeah. So I think that um, it's a very complicated question. And I think that we probably made some mistakes here. And I think the advice that I would give is like, there's two kinds of products in my view, one's the one you land customers and one's the one you expand into customers. And sometimes it can be both. And I think that, you know, I think whenever you're building a new thing, just being clear what that is. And I think if on the expand product, the thing that it helps you is increasing the LTV so you can spend more on CAC and acquire even more customers. So that can be like a good reason to do it. The second reason can be it's another landing product. So you're increasing the total base in which you're getting customers. So I think just being super understanding like where your new product is going to fit. And it's like, but I think overall, especially as you're in growth phase, the total amount of customers that you have probably is where you should focus on initially. Cause you can always keep cross selling them many years later in the future. So I think for me, the, the building a new product should be, will this product help me sign up more customers either because it's going to be a great landing spot or because it's going to monetize the customers better so that I can invest more in CAC to bring even more customers. Mm -hmm. That's how I think about it. But like, I would definitely focus on still increasing the amount of customers that you have because you, you have years to cross sell them a lot of stuff and earn their trust, et cetera. But you, you should keep, keep acquiring a lot of them. And I think the other point I would make here is there are products that the combined version of your product delivers more value than the individual version of your product. So I'll give an example with us. If you use card plus expense management, we can deliver a much, much, much better experience than if you just use either of them. Right. 
right? So that point of integration between the products that generates a lot of value. And I think that founders usually probably overestimate the amount of value that that point of integration generates. So we have built products that we thought, yeah, like this integrative, this is going to be amazing. And there's like some mild benefits to being integrated, but like not that much. So I would say that focusing on products in which the, the point of integration between your two products generates a lot of value, you know, I guess is, is probably a, a good idea. I imagine for Gusto, that was uh, payroll with insurance, right? And that point of integration generated like a ton of value for customers. Right. Um, versus maybe some other things. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think the major first, I would say, new product that, that an offering was to it that we added to payroll was benefits and those that connection and the fact that they're so tightly connected both in the customer's mind and who makes the buying decision and, and the decision internally with HR, but then also in terms of the data and the payments flow, and that's what made it really work. But that kind of brings to me this idea of, you know, one of the hardest things of knowing with ROI, right? ROI is a return investment. So let's talk about the return, then let's talk about the investment. So first on the return side, attach rates is the thing that I'm sure that you always think about when you consider a new product. And how do you, this is getting super tactical here. Did you find a, a good way of, of evaluating or some sniff tests of figuring out what would be the attach rate of this new product X that everyone's really excited about? Yeah, I would say that going back to my previous point of is the integrated experience 10x better? That is probably the biggest predictor of the attach rate. And it's like an order of magnitude difference. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Like the products that we had that was like 40, 50% attach rate. Right. The products that we had like not have that so strong was like 5% to 10%. Yeah. So, you know, in our view, it was like, it's just being really real about does this point of integration add value or is just being in like being in the same place is not enough a lot of times, you know, (laughs) in a competitive market. And did you have a way of testing it beforehand? I think the way we did it is like we listed out what are the features that are only possible because these things go together. And then going to customers and testing out, is this, are these features or these combined features enough for you to switch or enough for you to make a buying decision? Right. And if the answer was no, then that would be less exciting for us to do. If the answer was yes, then it would be very exciting. We knew the attachment, but these specific features need to be the buying criteria or like make a difference in the buying process. I love how explicit this is to kind of sit down and write down, here's the specific benefits of that, that, that you cannot get if we do not, if we don't do this integration and, and bring it back to customers. And that's, that's a really, really great point. We definitely made mistakes, by the way, we got a few of them wrong <laughs> on the, on the path of learning this. Yeah. Like everyone do. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, now you're talking about mistakes and, and we don't have to get to the specific names and details, but let's talk about like, what do you do when something doesn't work out? So a feature, you know, a feature or a new product you brought into market and it only gets the 5% attached. When do you, and how do you decide whether to get rid of something and really sunset a feature if it's, you know, too resource hungry to the ROI provides? Honestly, we're probably not, we have, but we're not great at it. I would say this is not something I, I would say we are are good at. So it's probably bad for me to get advice, but um, we probably wait too long and keep investing and maintaining. I think maybe because it's financial products, like we're a little bit more sensitive, but right. I wouldn't say we're really good at that. Yeah. I would say at Gusto, this is also, so we are, you know, 
close over 10 years in right now in our in our startup journey and a product journey and i think this is this is something that we we really probably started doing more well around the five six years and taking uh, some features out and it's still always a very controversial thing and i guess my advice to myself uh, earlier on and to other founders listening to this is build that muscle early and have the team know it's not a huge deal you know like we are launching something in order for it to be successful but there's also a lot of investment, ongoing maintenance, and just kind of makes the business more complex if we're carrying something behind us that would not really help customers that much. So start early. That's my only advice there. So I want to jump to something a little bit different. And, you know, one of the, I think, really cool things that you guys do with span management, and you have you have this, this great insight into what are people spending on across cohorts of thousands and thousands of customers and how those trends change, what people st- started spending more on and, and where people spend their budget and where they don't. And uh, it'll be really interesting to learn if you can share any specific trends you're seeing that will just enable other founders and people who are listening here to understand what's going on in the market right now. You know, all of us are obviously um, paying attention a little bit to macro and potential recession uh, that's happening out there in the world. So it's really interesting to learn uh, some numbers. Yeah, no, for sure. So we definitely see a lot of interesting things. So for example, uh, advertising and marketing has been significantly reduced in spend over the last few months. Uh, also spend on just, you know, consultant and contractors and general merchandise. All of that has been decreasing a good amount as well. Meanwhile, SaaS and servers were pretty flat, actually. So it's an interesting data point because a lot of people ask, like, how will SaaS do in recessions and all that? And I think, uh, at least right now, we're actually not seeing it. People saying, oh, my God, let me go kill my SaaS deals, you know, because it's a recession, which has been super interesting to see. And we're seeing T&E actually go up a lot. So I think the travel rebound from COVID, remote, people wanting to see each other, that's still going up like crazy. In terms of just startup market in general... We've seen the funding drop around 20.8% for the second quarter of this year, which is a lot, I would say, um, compared to only a 5.4% drop last year. The only thing, though, that has been interesting is we've actually been seeing a lot of unannounced rounds. So a lot of uh, companies raising some money that they just don't announce to anyone. And we could, that could, those could be down rounds, those could be structured debt, those could be bridge rounds, up rounds that are not announced, whatever it is. But we're seeing a lot of money coming in that's unreported, which I guess is also uh, super interesting. And I think we're we're seeing cash burn decrease pretty materially. I think like there's no one that's doubting that we're we're in a macro problem and people are adapting faster than, than we've seen before. So that's really, really interesting to hear. Like I feel like yeah and you have that really unique uh, view into that very very quickly, um, like a very you know early signal of what's what people are spending on and how. Any advice for founders who are navigating this and, and CEOs and you know leaders in technology companies from what you're seeing in terms of how to optimize their spend? I think that um, the most important thing is look startups they don't they're not gonna work because they're saving money in a here and there. So making sure you're still letting spend go to the places that matter and going to help your growth. I would say a couple of things. One is this is an amazing time to instill the culture of financial discipline in the company. 
And that's one of the things that we try to do with our products at Rex is, you know, I think a lot of people say, oh, we're going to help you save money, but like, okay, save money where, right? Like for us, this recession is the best time to teach your company to value money. And that is the culture that you want for the next 10, 20 years for a business. Number two thing, at least this is what we've done, is focus. Is what are the things that are the most important? And just do those, right? Like this is the time where it's okay to let some competitor take some adjacency that you may not, you know, you may have to compete later as long as you're growing your core thing. So I would say that at least for us, like whatever those tier, you know, things that are going to be short term and have short term impact and medium term impact, keep focusing on them. Things that are very long term, I would say probably is the time now to reshuffle those resources into your core and keep focusing. So those are probably my two more practical advices of what I think at least companies should do. But that being said, it's very company specific. Like I think there's all these VCs giving all these general advice. There's a lot of different advice depending on your situation. So um, <laughs> those are my thoughts, but definitely situation specific. What do you think holds people back, like founders and leaders and, and decision makers? What, what do you think holds them back from doing these things? So this, you know, it sounds quite straightforward. Like, you know, on one side, don't overcorrect and, you know, kind of kill all the areas of the company that, that's growing and, and represents the future. On the other side, financial discipline and focus are, are key, especially now. What do you think holds people back from following this advice? I think three things. One is just lack of clear prioritization. So I think the exercise of like, if you could just do one thing, one thing only, you have to kill everything else. What would that thing be? Oh, but it sucks. Hmm. Just one thing. I think like having that very clear and making sure that everyone in the company understood what the priorities are. It doesn't mean you have to stop doing everything else, but in general, if people had to prioritize between this thing and that thing, they would know where to prioritize. So I think like founders, they think they know that, but then the rest of the company doesn't, right? Because you have all these OKRs and everyone kind of pushes their OKRs, ends up, no one knows how to prioritize. And I think that's probably one of the issues. The second thing is, I would say fear is a strong argument. So every time someone brings up, well, what if this, and it's a very bad argument and you know, people never want to be the one that makes the risky call in an uncertain environment. So I think you as a founder and CEO, you need to be the steward of risk in the company and tell everyone which risk you are comfortable and which you're not. And in business is risk, you know, like businesses knowing what risk to take and what risk not to take. And you should keep taking some risk in your company. Yeah, this is great. This is awesome. I love that advice. Two kind of main takeaways for me from what you're saying is one, People may think they have, even in their own head, they've done the hard work, but you're, you're kind of posing this really good question around like, hey, if you had to do one thing, just one thing, what would that be? I think that's a really clarifying question. And the second thing is, once you've answered it, you got to make sure everyone else understands that. It's not enough that you have it kind of in your secret little room in the corner. Like everyone needs to have the same answer or understand what's the company's take. That's great. The one other area that I wanted to touch on, perhaps the last area for, for today, this is awesome conversation, Enrique is again, more tactical around execution and specifically execution in engineering and product and design and in getting features up and up and running. Uh, Brex was uh, landed number two in the CNBC Disruptor 50 list for 2022, which is, which is really awesome. Congrats on that. And I think one of the things that you've said there in that interview is, you know, speed really, really matters. So tell me a little bit about that. How do you create a culture that 
celebrates and puts emphasis on, on speed of execution? Yeah, I would say that we ran a survey and asked people how much of your time do you spend doing real work? How much of your time spent doing other stuff? How many times you're like coding and writing code or like, you know, writing the, the architect, like actually like doing work, you know, and you're going to find out as you do that, you're going to find out different areas and different bottlenecks and different things that take time. And is this one of your company values or how do you kind of communicate that as a principle uh, throughout the company or celebrate it? We have a kind of like a quarterly survey for people. And then the managers themselves are, we have this value called impatient optimism hmm. that kind of like creates this kind of urgency in the company. And, uh, but we as leaders, we need to help unblock people. Hmm. Do you feel like sometimes people get from the external world or from other companies come in and, and they're, they get shocked by the way they are asked to be working? Like they feel like that's not how they used to work. And this is brand new for us. A hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love that point. I love the, the nuanced approach here. This is not like, Hey, we are a company who takes risks. So join us and take risks here. And, and we move fast and break things to use the Facebook uh, old slogan, which they don't use anymore. Um, but rather you're saying, Hey, we're just smart about this stuff. We're thoughtful about this stuff. There's places in the company where, you know, um, we are absolutely you know, we'll never risk our customer data and our customer uh, transactions. But there's areas in the companies that we don't want to be over uh, conservative because that will slow our development and our ability to, in the end, build great things for our customers. Yeah. And, and I think also, like, don't build policies for the 1% that are okay screwing the 99%. Mm. So, you know, we have this as a policy in our product. Uh, I'll give you an example, right? Like, someone with expenses went... And bought, you know, for our case, it was like $3,000 of Alex Center Steakhouse Wagyu. And then, therefore, now everyone needs to do its expenses and approvals and this whole process because of like the 1%, right? So, how do you build processes that are smart? Processes that appropriately flag, okay, you know, maybe we need to review some things, not need to review other things, you know, that takes smart risks um, and not just like a blunt instrument that, okay, everyone's life sucks now because of this one person that did some one thing. Yeah. The tragedy of the commons, which is, you know, one of the things that I think is the most important thing to do as you scale your company is to think through what is the experience of employee number N plus one and how do they look at your company from the inside out as they onboard as they look at the company? Is it like a big complex bureaucracy? And hopefully you never allow that to happen by keep pushing, keep pushing that physics and, and momentum that often, you know, larger companies become more bureaucratic. And probably the way of doing this is exactly what you're saying, which is, founder and leader engagement and saying being more nuanced as opposed to have a kind of blank let's re, you know um like risk reduction across the board no matter what yeah and that's why measuring your employees time is very important because if you don't have like a something to counterbalance right like and hey why why not add bureaucracy right that's always the question right there's nothing counterbalancing the bureaucracy yeah right? that's a great point so that's the counter metric basically yeah do you use any, uh, on the more kind of engineering side, do you use any um, direct measurements of commits and things like that or velocity? Or is it more just these uh, more qualitative survey of how people feel like they spend their times? Oh, we definitely have a lot of stuff like that. Probably a little bit out of my depth here, but we definitely measure that pretty aggressively. Cool. Yeah, I think especially with remote work, that's something that helps teams as well as individuals to just understand how, they're, how well they're doing. Well, Enrique... 
this you've been really really generous with your time so thank you and thanks for all the insights and the and the stories really enjoyed the conversation thank you so much for having me all right thank you for listening to the smb tech innovators podcast if you enjoyed this episode please leave a review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes This episode of the SMB Tech Innovators podcast is brought to you by Gusto Embedded. Gusto has spent a decade building and testing its payroll, tax filing, and compliance infrastructure, which is available as a robust set of APIs so you can develop custom-tailored payroll solutions. For more information, go to embedded.gusto.com.